Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Scoopy Radio on your aux cord in the gym, preparing for Memorial Day weekend everywhere in between. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Follow me on Twitter at Scoop B, Instagram Scoop underscore B, Snapchat Scoop underscore B. Well, actually, no, it's Snapchat Scoop B. Um, and make sure you subscribe to the Scoopy Radio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, everywhere in between. And make sure that you guys are using the promo code SNOOP, S-N-O-O-P, when you're purchasing Wooter Apparel, and you'll save 10 to 20% off your first purchase Scoopy Radio. at Wooter Apparel. On the line right now is a guy that really needs no, no grandiose introduction because he's in the gym as we speak, none other than... Otis Hughley joining the program. Brother Hughley, what's going on, sir? Hey, how you doing, Brandon? Trying to make it happen. It's always good when you have family on the line. And you grew up with my uncles, my dad, and everywhere in between in Jersey City, New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> Quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> I have you on the, on the line because, man, you, you have a wealth of knowledge. You, you've worked with big men. You've worked with Nene Hilario. You've worked with Zach Randolph. You've worked with Brendan Haywood, Jason Thompson, Ben Wallace, Tyson Chandler. You work with a, a myriad of NBA guys. Um, but your journey, you know, many people see the benchmark of the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. How did you get started in basketball? Bob Hurley. Bob Hurley, St. Anthony's coach. He used to come around to the neighborhood and, you know, scout out the talent that he thought would help, uh, that he can help and that could help his program and he would help develop him. I was just one of those kids he took an interest in. What was he like? Because, I mean, St. Anthony's close. Um, what, what did what did you learn from, from Bob Hurley? Coach Hurley was a probation officer, so he was pretty rigid, very strict, very militaristic with regard to, you know, just structure, order, you know, no nonsense, very deliberate in his instruction. And um, it, it was simple. If you wanted to be your best, you had to invest your best. And uh, he, he, right, he was right there to monitor, coach, police, hold you accountable, and uh, encourage you as, you as you made progress. So it was something that probably stuck with me throughout my life and being able to develop and engineer 
uh, a protocol to bring out the best in people is something that's just been there with me you know, all my life, and it's, it's probably come from him. You've been an assistant coach at a myriad of universities, Wright State, Liberty, Southern, uh, and you were also a head coach at Wallace Community College in Selma, Alabama. I mean, when I hear Selma, you know what I think of. I mean, what was that experience for you in Selma? <laughs> I tell you that 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 made growing up in Jersey City uh, seem like paradise. So it was very very different, man. How so? Culture shock. Just slow. Uh, everybody knows everybody. You know, there's no privacy, and and it's 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 just very very polarized, socially mm -hmm. divided. You know, what you see today was evident every day in Selma. You know, how the, the divisions that Trump just, he didn't make them happen. He just, you know, he revealed them. He, he brought them to the surface. He emboldened those that wanted to, who always thought like that, were in Selma. It's right down the line. They, they're that way. Now you sort of can't tell those that hate by the color of their skin anymore because it's just so, so perverted now. With regard to the hate in Selma. Scoopy Radio on the line with Otis Hughley, talking hoops, talking Selma, talking uh, Bob Hurley. Um, you uh, have traveled all around. You actually were um, an assistant coach uh, with the Golden State Warriors uh, with Mark Jackson. Uh, in regards to Mark Jackson, why do you think that he's having such a tough time uh, becoming or, or getting a head coaching job somewhere in the NBA post Golden State? Well, the, you know, there's, a, there's probably a lot of reasons and the reason most people wouldn't cite, but I think it's a small uh, circle, fraternal uh, ownership, and and once you know, Lakeup made up his mind that Mark was a certain way, and, and it sort of you know, developed and he, it, 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 it formed a narrative of how the other owners would, 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 uh, would feel about him. And, and it's just been real hard. But Mark doesn't worry about that. You know, he's the kind of guy who he lives by a certain standard and he doesn't let the way folks think or, or what they say dictate how he feels or how he conducts his life. He still has a job. He would like the coach, but you know, that's not all in all with him. You know, he's a man of God and Got a lot of respect for him, and this game is really missing out not having this guy back in because he impacts a lot of lives. Tell me about those Warriors days pre-championship, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, um, and, and a multitude of other guys that would go on to be stars. What was that Warriors culture like um, in those days under Mark Jackson? See, what you get now and what you see now is what they bring out to the table when your meal is finished. Mark was in the kitchen, getting those ingredients together, making the orders, finding the places that had the right ingredients. He got them in there when they drafted Clay, they drafted Draymond, they traded for Iguodala, he got Bogut. I mean, he, he put all that together. He got all the necessary ingredients to make a great meal, and it started to germinate and grow. And, um, and now the, the results of what he did and the foundation that he laid Look what happened. Look what's happening. Unbelievable. And how can you not uh, give this guy an opportunity to, to do that again? It's just, you know, it's, it's just unprecedented.
Rick Carlisle, 50 wins in Detroit, the farm. And he's been in Dallas. He's won a championship, but he's been there ever since. Probably one of the longest tenured coaches in the NBA right now, other than Pop. You had a kind of a unlikely uh, a journey. Everybody's journey is different. As a journalist, I know everybody's journey to get to the top seat is different. And, and, and being a lead assistant or assistant or being a head coach, you have to jump through many hurdles to get to that point. Your entry point uh, to the NBA uh, came um, – because of a relationship, um, and, and I'd be remiss if I downplayed, first of all, how that relationship started. Um, you uh, coached at LaFleur uh, High School in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, you, uh, your team posted a 59-6 and six mark at one point, and, and you coached a certain skilled gentleman who now plays for the New Orleans Pelicans and DeMarcus Cousins. First of all, what is it like coaching DeMarcus Cousins? Well, it's it's any it's like coaching any really talented, highly intelligent, but when you mix in a very emotional, deep caring guy, it becomes a, a interesting, challenging blend. But anybody that really knows him knows man, that's a great kid. And when I had him, that's what he was a kid. It was a lot easier to manage him as a kid. As an adult, you know, he's pretty pretty straightforward and he's allergic to BS and when he sees it, it the diplomacy just is not it doesn't kick in mm-hmm. now it has he's gotten older he's more mature he understands the landscape a lot better he's able to navigate his way but you know a lot of the narrative has been already formed and you know there's probably been some people he's told the truth to that didn't like it mm-hmm. you can't do that and, and it's hard to outrun What's already happened? There's been one guy that told him he would be in jail in five years. <laughs> he got drafted. Well, the media itself called that guy out, and that guy had to publicly apologize. You know, great guy. A father, has two kids, takes care of them. I mean, really takes care of those kids. You got at LaFleur High School uh, to uh, six Final Four appearances in seven seasons and a 2007 6A state title. Um, and like I said before, uh, you, uh, coached, uh, DeMarcus for two seasons, 2007, 2008 season and 2008, 2009. Um, when you look at his injury, uh, this past season, how confident are you that he'll return better than ever? Yeah. If you look at the, the, you know, most, most, uh, if you look back in history, you know, a lot of eras and ages are, are benchmarked by patterns. He has a pattern. When when the going gets tough, that kid is at his best. His life has been riddled with crisis. He's always come to the top. This is just another chapter. And he's got a lot of training in dealing with situations like this. When he needs to lose weight, he does it. When he needs to become an all-star, it happens. And you see what's happening in Sacramento, how tough it's been there before he got there, when he was there, and after he's gotten there to win. But he still managed to get four all-stars in in seven years um and side by side with a one of the what god is mentioned in mvp talks and he would have been hadn't he got hurt so a kid like that no he's resilient he's gonna find a way and he always does i just think all this talk with achilles it's just business a lot of leverage talk because people want to get away with trying to get him cheap and um and that's just the way this business is He'll, he'll come out on top. He'll, he's going to really, really 
do a good job for whoever gets an opportunity to coach him. Scoopy Radio on the line with Otis Hughley uh, talking basketball, talking DeMarcus Cousins, talking his career. And and I just want to bring this to the forefront. You talk about not sugarcoating. Many people uh, during DeMarcus' time in Sacramento kind of called you DeMarcus' babysitter. Why? Well, they, you know, there wasn't anything else written. You know, DeMarcus was the guy and the the name that, that was Paragon and it was the the headliner, so who was I? I had to be somebody that was a babysitter. How else could he get in the NBA? Uh, man, I, I, I dealt with all those players you mentioned before I even met DeMarcus. You know, I had a uh, a history with NBA guys dating back to almost 2000. So there's there's just not a lot of information out there to clear that narrative up. It's, it's narrative up. It's not, it's not sexy. <laughs> DeMarcus' mm-hmm. name is 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 more attractive to 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 promote and uh it was convenient just to place me in that slot it was an experiment for sacramento if they succeeded team got the uh the benefit and the credit if it failed i would get the blame i knew that with both eyes on end it's okay why didn't it work out in sacramento for both of you guys well that's probably a, a bunch of situations as the markets went i was gonna it, it was gonna dictate what happened to me regardless and it was just a tough situation uh, i think the markets needed to be in a like most rookies they needed to be on the team where they were seasoned vets that really understood how to be professional they really can understand you know how to help him uh, learn this league quick he was 18 years old tyreek evans a sophomore just got rookie of the year who doesn't say two or three words in an hour, you could be sitting next to them. Those were the leaders of the team. How are you going to have a rookie and, and a sophomore lead a, lead a franchise? Um, and, and that's what he found himself in. And Coach Westfall was adapted to coaching veterans, that Phoenix team with Barkley and Molly and all those guys, Kevin Johnson. You know, those guys weren't acclimated even to the NBA yet, let alone trying to lead the organization and the team into the into the playoffs. Too much expectation. When you look at DeMarcus Cousins, I, I laughed uh, when a report came out today. It's funny um, that he unfollowed the Pelicans uh, on Instagram and somebody asked him why he did it. He said, because I'm grown. When you look at, uh, and I thought it was hilarious, when you look at um, other teams um, that would benefit from his services, a team like the Lakers, a, a team like uh, the 76ers. Do you see any other teams besides the Pelicans that would fit his style of play? What people fail to understand is most young athletes depend on running and jumping, athleticism, being young, playing fast, playing hard. DeMarcus is a cerebral player. I agree. He doesn't play. He plays below the rim most times, although he has surprisingly explosion, uh, explosion that would surprise you at times. But his game is cerebral, and he plays around you. He plays at angles. He plays in position. I mean, he thinks the game, so he doesn't have to depend so much on being athletic and super quick or fast. He doesn't have to have that. So he gets his weight to where it was before or down where where he was almost in college or high school. It's going to be a scary, scary thing to see this kid. Really scary.
Hoopy Radio Talk to Hoopy. You, you mentioned that you've been working with high-profile players uh, since 2000, and I don't want to sell you short because everybody can talk about DeMarcus Cousins all day. Uh, someone that really intrigued me as a player uh, was one in Yijian Leon. Uh, played for the Milwaukee Bucks, played for uh, the, the then the New Jersey Nets. Um, what was it like working with him? Because I, I believe that he didn't really, his elasticity in the NBA didn't last. But I think he's also a cerebral player. So what was it like working with him? He is very, 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 very coachable, very teachable. I like to call him fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Whatever you ask E to do, he would do. Hard worker, very disciplined. I just think he got caught in, in a numbers game, out of position. Milwaukee was in out of position. Uh, wasn't a good fit. Then it was New Jersey. A whole lot of people at that position. The Wizards, a whole lot of people at the position. In Dallas, that was Dirk at his position. You know, he got caught in a numbers game. You don't have but a small window to make a reputation. One time to make a first impression, and you remember by the last thing you do. Both opportunities that he gotten, you know, to to do those things and to settle that he belonged in this league, it was just a tough fit. This kid is can play. He always gave people buckets and numbers when they played on the international stage. You just do the research. I mean, he led China in scoring. He put up 30 on on a, the USA team. I mean, this kid could play, and everybody knows he could. Nobody just wanted to, to make the investment and couldn't figure out how to play him. He probably fit better in this positionless game now. Hmm. And, of course, you know, the premise of what you do with big men, for those who are listening, is you help guys uh, with their footwork, uh, help them develop a go-to move and a counter uh, to that move and to create opportunities with their feet and gaining a deep position. For, for those who are maybe not familiar with that whole process, because skills, skills training is a big thing in, in, in basketball now, for somebody like Andrew Bynum, uh, a guy who kind of developed late. Um, it, it, was it difficult? And, and do you find a lot of people who are older trying to play in the game of basketball and, and maybe have similar struggles in, in, in kind of establishing a go-to move? Well, a lot of guys, like we talked about earlier, they depend on being the fastest, the quickest, the most talented. And there's not a lot of skill or counter or position or playing from angles. All that becomes, it's just innate. They got there because they were the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, or probably the quickest, or shot it the best, or sure. got to the hole the best. And then when they get up there where everybody's there because of those reasons, what starts to separate them is their, their commitment to, to being the best player they could be by working on things that are weak. Andrew had him at 19. He was just bigger than everybody. He was raw. But he began to understand, he began to get better, began to understand how to use his size, get deep position, be tall when he needed to be long, uh, and get and, and put people in the basket. He created his opportunities with his feet before he got the basketball. And then when he got deep, it was a little easier. He made those shots that he practiced every day. Now, you at one point worked with the Kiki Vanderwick Next Level Camp? Yes. And you had the pleasure and others had the pleasure of learn, working with you and helping Paul Pierce and many other players learn uh, to pivot off both feet and to be precise and deliberate in, in attacking the basket. And working with Paul Pierce, um, it seems like his game elevated uh, like the year before um, the Celtics triggered to get that deal to get Garnett and Pierce and Allen all together. In working with Paul, um, what 
were the biggest um, hurdles in, in pivoting both feet? Well, a lot of left-hand guys pivot off their right, right-hand guys pivot with their left, and that's their foot, and that's what they're accustomed to. When they catch the ball, they try to get that foot anchored, where they could just play from that play from that position, pivoting off their favorite foot. Paul, first of all, is a killer. He mm-hmm. came in with a chip on his shoulder. Felt like didn't get the respect that he deserved. But that kid, I remember watching he and Corey McGetty just go at each other. Man, I'm gonna tell you, Paul Pierce was a unbelievable animal. I mean, people didn't realize how tough he was. But he also understood, just like DeMarcus does, and Kobe did late in his career, well, Kobe always knew, how to play the angles, how to play position, how to play below the rim, at the rim, and above the rim. Those That's why those guys had such long careers. They were able to make adjustments with, with father time and still be relevant. Kobe, what, 60 points in his final game? Mm-hmm. And they needed every one of them to win. I mean, you just don't see that. And it's because guys thought that, and Paul had that. He was very understanding of what it took to get the most out of his skill set during the time in which he played. Tell me a little bit more about Paul Pierce and Corey McGetty going at it. Are we talking high school? Are we talking college? Are we talking NBA? At what point was were you training with those guys? No, this, they were both pros. Corey was maybe in his second year, and Paul was you know already with the Celtics. We were at Loyola Marymount. Kiki had his only camp. His first camp, because they were all, all with Pete Knowles, and you know, guys started breaking away, having their own. Gergerich has his own now in Vegas, and it's probably the one that's still left and most popular. Everybody goes to. But Corey, and we did what you call one on zero. We taught footwork off both pivots, a series of moves. There was a protocol, moves and counters, and then we would go one on one read, and then we would go one on one live. And when they went live, oh, my goodness, man, it was like fireworks, 4th of July in December. <laughs> it was uh, it was fun to watch. Who was who ended up being the better player in that series of, of uh, training? Oh, Paul. Paul. It, it, it wasn't by a lot, but Paul clearly willed his way, skilled his way, and just, and I can't say tougher because Corey is tough, too. But I Corey quickly realized you know, Paul wasn't nothing to play with. And Corey was trying to prove I belong. Sure. Paul was trying to say, listen here, young boy. And it was fun to watch. I remember Reuben Patterson and and uh, there was one other guy that went at it down in Hawaii. Same same type of thing. Oh, Reuben Patterson, Jason Richardson. Oh, hmm. my goodness. Same kind of fight. Tell me about that. Well, just like Paul and, and Corey, those guys just one on zero and just wanted to prove to each other, you know, who was toughest because Ruben was like an enforcer out of Cincinnati. And, sure. and Jay Rich, you know, athletic guy, can jump, but, was you know, wanted to show I'm not just a skilled guy or, or athletic guy or finesse guy. You know, I can get in there and bang with you too. And when they started, I mean, they would go, you would go, you would get three opportunities to go on offense. Then the next set would go. Man, those guys went 12 times. <laughs> well, now that you said Michigan State and, and Cincinnati were in the same building brawl, and I already know how this series went. Yeah, yeah. And we were in Hawaii. They both were NBA guys by then and uh, well-established in the league. And, whew, man, that was something. 
Those were days when it was you were able to be a lot more physical. Sure, sure. You you were talking about you know playing angles and you know as you get older, almost to to to, to put it in summation, um, working smarter, not harder. Um, and and what easily mm. comes to mind to me is Zach Randolph because I feel as he's getting older, he gets better. Oh, Zach's twenty and ten machine, and he's probably that's a great example. He's probably the best example of understanding how to play this game below the rim in position, understanding who he is, what he could do, creating his opportunity before with his feet to get to the parts of the floor where he knows you're dead. He has a counter. He has an A move and a counter, and there's nothing you can do. You just at the mercy of whether he makes it or misses. He shoots a very high percentage, so you know usually how that's going to turn out if he gets you deep enough. You coached Anthony Davis, uh, Harrison Barnes, uh, in LeBron James' Skills Academy. I'm intrigued by those two guys because they represent the new NBA uh, where you're pretty much um, a power forward size or at least height uh, with small forward, two guard, and point guard capabilities or, you know, what Kevin Garnett was uh, futuristically 15 years ago. <laughs> right. Right. Anthony Davis, uh, DeMarcus Cousins' teammate with, with the Pelicans, are you surprised um, by his level of play now? And Do you think it's right on time or, or do you think it's a little late? No, I think he needed DeMarcus to come there because he was having injury played years, there was nobody to give him any relief or rest or just to bounce things off. He, this kid was 21 years old there again. They had to hand him the franchise. Like they tried to do DeMarcus in, in uh, Sacramento, and it just it just wasn't working out. He went from being the future of the poster child to, you know, folks just would, 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 would not talk about him as much anymore when he had gotten hurt. DeMarcus came there. It gave him a lot of relief. He didn't get as many double teams. You couldn't. DeMarcus encouraged him. He encouraged DeMarcus. This body, this kid's body changed. It wasn't as much uh, uh, pounding on his body because DeMarcus now took some of that, took the brunt of a lot of that from other teams. Nobody could just game plan for him anymore. So he, he was able to give his body a little break as opposed to it was before DeMarcus had gotten there. And as you as you can see, you sort of run out of gas during the playoffs. You sure. can't score 40 and 50 every night just for your team to, to be competitive. You know, those other guys had to step up. And Shaq called it the others. AD is blocked. I saw it when he was at LeBron's camp. This kid just came out of nowhere. His high school team may have won four or five games this senior year. But this kid started to grow. He'd already had... PG skills, and then you could see just him dominate those other kids at that level. It's just, it, 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 wow, where did he come from? You saw it. Now his body's filled out, his shoulders are full, his chest is full, his, he knows how to take care of his body. He's a seasoned pro now. He's leading the team, and look what's happened to that team. They almost think they can survive without the Marcus, which is totally the furthest thing from the truth. Oh, it's just a sure. money thing now. Do you think if DeMarcus would have played, they would have beat the Warriors in the in the uh, NBA, in the in the playoffs? No, nah, that's hard to say. That's, I think it would have been more of a series. Yeah, I don't think they're ready to turn the corner to beat them just yet. 
the, the, the worries are at a, a different level when all gears are rolling right. Now, they would have caught him because Steph had just gotten back. Hmm. And they probably would have, you know, chopped in a couple of games and they had to re, re-engineer, recalibrate the chemistry. But now they're running now. You know, I think they would have probably took it to six or maybe maybe even seven if DeMarcus was there with an opportunity to possibly win. But I wouldn't, you know, I would I would put that odds at, you know, 95 to five. Surely. They could have they done that. Surely. Scoopy Radio on the line with Otis Hughley. Seven conference championships, six final fours, one elite eight. Uh, appearance, three finals, one state championship, all while compiling a 185-20 and 20, uh, record uh, in seven years. Brother, that's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> yeah, you, you put a lot of work into it. Had those kids from 7 in the morning to 10 at night, and that was nine game days. Life on life, invested into these kids. You have the unique experience of, and I don't think anybody who's listening has totally um, consummated this or, or, or put this into perspective. You coach Anthony Davis at LeBron James Skill Academy. You were uh, assistant coach with uh, the Golden State Warriors pre-championship. You work with the Sacramento Kings, um, but you ain't working in the NBA. Why? Well, it's hard to outrun that narrative. You know, you like guys that get drafted and st- or don't get drafted, but finally make the team and stick. It just takes one team, and once a good narrative is formed, then you have a better chance to outrun the babysitter narrative. People don't know about my college and pro experience at all as a head coach in China. First season, we went to the playoffs and finished fourth in the whole league. So people don't know about those days. They don't know I left pro basketball to come back and coach my son. It's the only reason I ended up in high school. We had won the state championship before DeMarcus had gotten there. He came because he wanted to learn how to play in the low post. And Tanner was playing face in the basket. And DeMarcus already had just basic, raw, God-given skill skill set. He just wasn't quite sure how to make it simple, how to put it together on different sides of the floor. And all we did was help focus him. And we worked with a lot of guys. They didn't turn out like him. <laughs> he just had it. And and he was a guy we were able to, to, to introduce him to himself, his gifts, help him sharpen him, get him better. And he was already, he's already really, really smart. And that's why he came there. And he went to Kentucky in his freshman year. Guess what happened? His freshman year, he gets drafted fifth. And, and he plays really well. Four-time All-Star in seven years. Eight seasons. I, you know, I don't really know, you know, what to say other than skill development, investing in lives, teaching kids how to play, not telling them how to play, and then setting up a, a structure where they can be, they could be who they are naturally in the context of balancing the floor, spacing, and being able to bring their gifts as a team to the table to help a team be more successful. Is being an NBA coach your dream job? No. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of past the stage now where I, uh, I feel like I have to be there. I just know that I can. I know the guys. You know, when you come up, you think you have to be experienced. You got to get this and that on your resume. Well, I've done all those things. I know what a lot of those guys know. I've coached against them. I've been across the sideline. I was coaching when they were players. 
So I, I don't have to jump through all those hoops anymore in my own mind to be able to, to, to show well or to compete at that level as a coach. You just got to get through the carnage of the business, the, you know, outrunning those narratives, get through all the politics and politics <laughs> and be able to have an opportunity for somebody to look at you honestly and say, look, man, look at this guy's body of work. Everywhere he's won, every level he's been at, he's always won and been successful. And somebody to do that objectively, then, man, I'll compete with anybody in the world if they would do that. Here's my it's follow hard to get that scenario. Yeah. When did you know that your body of work was on par and is equal to some of your NBA coaching counterparts? Like, at what moment did you know that you were there? Well, you know, I can't, I don't want to mention names because I don't want to embarrass when people sure. start to ask you for help. I've I've done some things. Though, I'm talking about NBA coaches. You know, ask what you think and how do you feel about this? How would you run this set? How would you do that? When people start to ask you to run their elite camps and start to help, want you to help train their big guys and and FIBA uh, nations pay you pay you all kinds of money to come coach their national teams. And uh, and you start looking at these guys that used to be players, used to be assistants, hadn't been successful, but yet they're fast-tracked to these positions and they, they get an opportunity to fail. And sooner or later, some of, some will succeed, but most of them don't. You start to go, oh, you know what? Mm. Yeah, I understand what it's really about now. It's about just getting an opportunity. And when you do, Man, you got to be ready and you got to make the best of it. I just hadn't got the opportunity. Brandon, if they ever, ever put me in a head position at any level, they'll start to see. Don't give me a chance because I'm not going to let anybody else win anything. Scoopy ready on the line with Otis Hughley, who is very ready to become an uh, NBA head coach. It sounds like you're putting your your name in the hat. Yes. It's probably laughable to a lot of guys because they just don't know the background. But if you look at Jay Laranega, this guy's only experience was he coached, and he's good, but he coached the National Irish team, and then he was given the opportunity to coach the D-League, and then he's being interviewed as a head coach after being assistant with Boston for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think deservedly so. I think he should. But... If you compare his resume to mine and you didn't know who we were, there were no networks involved, <laughs> and you wanted to fix the plumbing in your house and you looked at those credentials, who would you choose? You, you, you see my point? Yeah, I do. So, But it's, it's just not that simple. And that's what I'm saying. It's not an arrogance. It's, it's just you know talking about fact side by side by other facts. And you make your own determination. Surely. Um, one thing I, I want to take a step back. I, I mentioned uh, to those listening to Scoopy Radio, again, you've worked with DeMarcus Cousins in high school in the NBA. Um, you've also um, was an, were an assistant uh, in Golden State. Uh, and you worked uh, with them uh, pre-championship. I've interviewed Kendall Gill, um, and I've interviewed J.R. Reed. Uh, both were teammates of uh, Adele Curry, uh, <clears throat> both during the Charlotte Hornets era. And they just marveled at, you know, how much Steph Curry um, pretty much had a 
independent study uh, on what it was to be an NBA player, uh, whether it was shooting with players before games, whether it was sometimes traveling with the team or being within the locker room um, during home games. Uh, you were around Steph Curry before people, the world began to really know who Steph Curry was. They remember him as Davis and Steph Curry at Golden State. What flashes um, of brilliance did you see in him early on, whether it was his play or his conversation, even when he was hurt and he was rehabbing his way back into, you know, the rotation back then? I was an assistant at Sacramento the first year, 2010, when DeMarcus came in. And I saw him play on the Keith Smart his rookie year. And let me tell you something. I knew then that kid was special. I saw him on TV, but you see a lot of guys on TV and usually catch only their best moments and very few of the not-so-good moments. But I saw he was playing side-by-side with Monta Ellis, and Keith said he wasn't defending. So Keith would take him out of the game, but every time he got the ball and, 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 and made a move or made a decision, he scored or he made a great play, he would just make him play, play after play. And then we were happy he took Keith. Keith took him out. But when Mark got there, Mark started to encourage him. He was very intentional about catching him doing good and really, really helped this kid understand he could be really, really good. Really good. Mark started to say great. And we just thought he was, no, Mark saw something in this kid. I don't know if the kid, you know, saw it in himself. He also saw it in Clay. And that kid would be in there shooting at night. His wife would rebound. Those guys would just put in the work. And and it started, you could see it starting to happen. You could see it become metamorphic. You could see the change start to occur. It was fun to watch. So it seems like as, as much as it is coaching, it's encouraging, particularly because he was hurt and he was nursing him his way back to health, but someone speaking a word. Of, yes. of, of, of or prophetically speaking a word that you're going to be great and when somebody tells you that you believe it. Yeah, especially a kid like him who was overlooked or felt like or had to play at a smaller school, you know, where you were always too this, too that, too this, too slow, too small, too this, not that. And so he came out ready to show, man, y'all don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can do this. Not only can I do this, not only can I play, not only can I be MVP, not only can I be a champion, not only I can do this repeated times, but I'm going to change the game. He revolutionized the way coaches had the game plan to prepare. It's become small ball because this boy made the court smaller. He made huh. the court smaller like Internet made the world small. Huh. That's a headline for a writer. He made the court small. Like the internet made the, I'm writing that down. Like the internet made the world. Scooby Radio on the line with Otis. You, I mean, again, even the little things. You, not little, but the things that people don't know about you. You worked with the Boston Celtics in training camp uh, during the Doc Rivers, uh, Al Jefferson, Rajon Rondo days, and Al Jefferson is another guy. Um, I think was ahead of his time at the center position. Um, Absolutely, because. When you see him, he looks short, but he's tall. But at, the same, <laughs> but at the same time, he's got range. Because he played, he knows how to play angles, position. He has a nice mid-range J, and he can play under the rim. That's why he's lasted so long. 
He never had to depend on running and jumping and being faster. He just was craftier. That's why guys like he, DeMarcus, Zach Randolph, those guys are going to carve out or hewn out a longer career than the people ever anticipated. Huh. You worked with the post players on, on strategy and skill development. Um, and to me, when you look at Rajon Rondo this year uh, with the Pelicans and how he's kind of had a resurgence, he's been hurt the last couple of years and or didn't mesh well with Carlisle in Dallas or, you know, a myriad of other things. Um, Chicago, he was hurt. Uh, when you look at Rajon Rondo and, and Al Jefferson and, and the success that they've uh, had, uh, I guess as they've been healthy or more moved on to other teams, could you imagine them in their prime? Uh, really know what they were doing in Boston. Do, do, do you think Doc maybe would have stayed a little longer? Yeah, that would have been interesting, I tell you. But I think they ran into – who was that they ran into the second year that would just made it too hard for them? Miami? I think they, uh, no, they lost in the finals, I think, the second year. To, oh. Who was that in the West? The, uh, wasn't the Pacers. See what happens when you're getting young. That's all right. That's all right. They just that second year, and they just had to break up. A lot of money was being thrown around. Boston wanted to get younger. Plus, Danny was coming, was coming in, and he wanted to really, really make it his own. So, there was a lot of moving parts in Boston at the time. I don't think it had a, as much to do with Boston wanting to. You say, "Was well, not broke? Don't fix it." No, and when it's not broke, break it. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to break it. They wanted to break it. So you coach, you coach Brooke Lopez, um, and and I, I find that his last year in well, I take that step back. I think when um, Reggie Evans and Kevin Garnett came to Brooklyn, uh, Brooke began to get it himself. Um, and his last year in Brooklyn, he established a fifteen footer, sixteen footer. Almost like a more polished Zajunas Ogalskis, if you will. <laughs> yeah, good enough. Uh, but when you look at the, the center position, do you think that that is the, that the type of player? Brooke Lopez is the prototypical type of player um, that a center has become. And, and do you think that the center position is a dying position? Well, I don't think it's ever going to die. It's just going to evolve. But I understand. It was, I think we're probably saying the same thing. I think it's with with people like the way DeMarcus is playing, the way Marcus Saul has transformed his game. I think these guys were all could always do those things. They didn't just decide to do it. It just became more acceptable and more palatable, and it became necessary. Draymond Green is the one that messed everybody up. Hmm. He's the one that's really, really changed this game. A, a forward taking it off the basket. You know, everybody expected LeBron to do that. You game plan for LeBron, but you get Draymond Green to do it, surrounded by four killers <laughs> that can score. <laughs> then you look at Houston. Man, Joe Johnson is the 12th man. What does that say about their roster? <laughs> yeah, but you know what, Joe Johnson, I think his role evolved in Brooklyn where he was the power forward, just like Paul Pierce became. Because that's the yes. awful era that we're in now. Yes. And you saw it happening. But I think people wanted to fool with it. They just didn't know. They didn't. They got it. They really got it from D'Antoni. But D'Antoni never cared about, back then, even talking about defense. 
he figured I'm gonna just outscore you. But now he's changed. He's got somebody in there that's helping him with defense, and that's part of his philosophy. He got a few killers on the floor that's gonna defend you, defend you, and Ariza and Tucker, mm-hmm. and then this this boy from Switzerland by way of uh, I think it's the Congo. Mm-hmm. Um, he's defending, so that makes them very formidable now on both sides of the floor, which made Harden not be as exposed as much in that area and made him also step up to being more of a a defender. So now you got, and then you got Chris Paul there. He's a tough defender. Uh-huh. That's what She's made that hungry. game. But who, yeah, who forced all that? Golden State. Golden State, because Draymond, Clay Thompson, Iguodala, now and even Steph and KD, they play on both ends of the floor. Jaja did, Bogut played on the defensive end. They're, they're, uh, West, they always got guys. Uh, McGee, they always got guys that fill those spots. Looney, that'll play at least on one end of the floor and will be recipients of easy opportunities because nobody's guarding them. They just open in the lane or in the dunker spot. Scoopy Radio on the line with Otis Hughley. He has an overall record of coaching record uh, of 358 wins and 80 losses. That's 82% uh, winning percentage, both as a head coach or assistant. You went 31-11 and 11 in the CBA. Uh, you coached a women's team uh, in China. Uh, they were fourth place in the Asian Games in 2015. Uh you have quite a resume, but one thing that I definitely am impressed with uh, is your makeup of your offensive-defensive philosophy. Um, your philosophy offensively is long, but I'm going to go with defensively first. Um, your defensive philosophy is to force the opponent to take shots. It does not like taking under pressure and constant duress. Uh, a full-court and half-court pressure and to force the opponent uh, to its weakness as much as possible. Um, I'm going to take a shot in the dark. It seems like Brad Stevens is using a similar philosophy against the Cleveland Cavaliers as he's the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> I was at Wright State when Brad was a graduate assistant at Butler. So hmm. I've been, I, I don't know Brad, but I've, I've known of him for a long time. Very, very smart guy. Does an unbelievable job in his preparation. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. There's prepared there's the trained, there's the untrained, there's the unprepared. That dude is both prepared and trained. And those guys, that's a hard combination to find. And, and and when you play the way he plays, you're not just throwing stuff together, looking on the internet and finding a play that fits your need. No, this guy is very prepared. Watches countless, probably watches hours and hours of film, and his preparation is above reproach. I just like playing, playing in that manner where you employ the sidelines, you employ the shot clock, you employ the half-court line as extra defenders. You employ the psyche of how the referee is calling the game from quarter to quarter. Sometimes it's fluid from first half of the quarter to second half of the quarter. And you've got to take the pulse of what that's like. You employ all those variables that give you uh, the arsenal you need to exact your strategy, and that is fluid. And you got to have your hand on it. And then you, you, you marry that with the type of plays you have, the length or lack of length or what you can and cannot do strength-wise on both ends of the floor. I think you can always be competitive at any level if you get some fat players. they got to be faithful, available, and teachable, and ready to work hard for each other. 
And if I can, I, I, I want to say, you, you talked about Draymond Green and you said that Draymond changed the game. You, you may think I'm crazy when I say this, but I think Draymond is a throwback to two players and their former Knicks, in fact. Um, Anthony Mason. Mace. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great, great, great uh, example. I think Dre was a better defender than Mace, but I think that that style of play, that bully ball style of play, is nothing mm-hmm. but Anthony Mason reincarnated. Yeah, I think it's more it's more beneficial to Draymond now because you know every team sort of had a tough guy, or, or and it was acceptable to play that way. Detroit Bad Boys. Today's game, the they don't want to fight. They don't want to play that way. So Draymond, the way he is, becomes even more of a of an advantage because he's playing with the edge that's even more pronounced. It seems to come across exponentially more so than it would in Mace's days because that was the temperament back then. That was the way you know everybody sort of played. But that's a great great analogy. Great yep. analogy. The other, thank you. The other person is not a Nick. It's actually a, 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 a enemy to a former Nick in Charles Barkley. That's why he and Dre fight so much because they're so much alike. That one is light and one is dark. <laughs> yeah, Draymond, Charles Barkley, and Demarcus Cousins. Man, I love to see them dudes just get in the room and talk it out. <laughs> who, who's, who's coming out the room first? Who's winning the fight between them three? Man, I think Demarcus and Draymond will jump on Charles. <laughs> <laughs> and Charles, I met Charles. Charles is man; he's an unbelievable guy, nice guy, and uh, he just there's no filter. <laughs> of course, sounds like Demarcus. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? They're both from Alabama. They mm-hmm. both were in Birmingham, and that that feud goes back a long way, though. It goes back a long way. How far is, because Charles is from Leeds, Alabama. How far is Leeds from Mobile? Well, DeMarcus spent his first two years of high school. He left Mobile when he was in fourth grade and went to Birmingham and was up there. Leeds okay. and Birmingham, maybe 10, 15 minutes down the road. Wow. 20 minutes, no more. So that's the area. Leeds would play some of the same teams that DeMarcus' high school played. Mm-hmm. So and he came to see Demarcus play in the state championship when we and uh well, it was a play a final four game when we play Eric Bledsoe and those guys. Hmm. There was a lot of animus against Demarcus because he wasn't going to Alabama and they made sure we didn't win that game. Wow. Yeah, they put him on the bench. Foul trouble. I gotta ask it. If you look in your crystal ball, where's Demarcus Cousins going next season? <laughs> be school. You know, I don't know, man. You know, he, he he's he, he's loyal. He wants to be in New Orleans. That I know. Uh, how the business is going to take it, I don't really know. I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Uh, I, I would like to see him, you know, play with AD again. But the way the business model is set up and and uh, the salary cap, you know, may make it tough for New Orleans to step out there. I think everybody's just trying to play leverage and hoping that everybody would fall out so they can get them for less than, you know, get them for 10 cents, 20 cents on the dollar. The marks is way too smart for that. True. One thing I find interesting about you, um, it kind of exemplifies you uh, as a whole. 
uh, you coached the Gold Lions. You were an assistant coach with the Gold Lions uh, team in the CBA, uh, China Basketball Association, correct, or Chinese Basketball Association? Yeah, I was I was the head coach when we lost, but the assistant when we won. <laughs> Well, what I find interesting, and, and that goes with the character, um, you arrived 12 games into the season to establish a defensive philosophy uh, in tandem with a strategic offensive attack. Um, and one thing that is it kind of is a test to just your love for the game, uh, you, you develop younger players uh, for the season moving forward, and despite injuries, youth, and no culture, uh, you um, won your last six out of nine games versus very good playoff teams. Um, for you, uh, what is, I know I asked you, is the NBA your dream job? For you, uh, if, if you could create any job in coaching that was Otis Hughley's only uh, at this point in your career, uh, what would it be and why? Oh, you know, I would love to coach with the Knicks. <laughs> uh, for sure, that's home, man. <laughs> it used to be the Nets, but they're in Brooklyn now. Right. But Knicks, yeah, I would love to, to, to work with the Knicks or here in Atlanta with the Hawks. You know, I knew Travis Snell, he was in, um, he's the GM, but Lloyd Pierce got that job. I worked with Lloyd in China. Um, and, uh, the year before that was with LeBron, where we did a, a live stream. First time ever in, in China history did LeBron or any pro athlete did a live stream all over, uh, Southeast Asia and, uh, did it with LeBron. The following year, Kyrie, and then got a chance to work with KD that same year as LeBron. <clears throat> But I would love to work in New York, man, or Atlanta, those two places, for sure. David Fisdale, if you're listening, this man needs an assistant coaching job. He's not taking your job, but this man needs to come home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, man, I, I know I can help Dave. Dave's a great guy, great motivator. I don't, I had never had the pleasure of really sitting down and talk to him, but I met him when he was in Miami. I was at Sacramento. Man, I hear nothing but great things about him. Um, Wish I had an opportunity to help him. That's a tough Scott Perry knows Scott well. Um, mm -hmm. Scott's going to do a good job. You heard it first, Brother Hughley. You're off the hot seat. <laughs> Scoop B Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.